winter. Hello and welcome to this, the second in a series of podcasts from the Isle of Mull. My name's Alistair Satchel and I'll be your host for the podcast today. The aim of these podcasts is to share a little bit of information on the lives of some of the people who live here on the islands of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. In this podcast, I talk to Marvin Gibson, who lives in Benesson in the Ross of Mull. As you'll hear, the Ross of Mull held a fascination for Marvin and her family when she was wee, and they would make every opportunity they could to get here. Marvin is one of the most inspiring people I know, and she's very, very humble about her achievements. So I'm delighted that she was able to join me to talk about her life and her work, empowering the communities of the Ross of Mull and Iona to take ownership over choices and developments in their communities. I first met Marvin through Mull and Iona Community Trust when I was working as a local development officer for the Ulva Ferry area. In fact, I think she was sitting on the interview panel for the job. Mull and Iona Community Trust is usually referred to as MICT, and their work on the islands around here is really quite significant. The room we recorded in was very echoey, so please excuse any odd sounds you hear. They're simply my attempt to balance the sound of the room out in post-production. I'll be back at the end of the podcast with some more info and things that we talked about, and also a little bit more about the podcast itself. Once again, the podcast has been sponsored by The Island Bakery, a local company whose biscuits you can find in most fine delicatessens and shops. You can visit on www.islandbakery.co.uk I'm just going to take a moment or two to think about their chocolate gingers. Chocolate gingers. Mm. Also, I feel I should state for legal purposes that Sandy Brunton, despite what is said in the following podcast, does not smell funny. I repeat, Sandy Brunton does not smell funny. Or does he? Marvin, over to you. Well, my name's Marvin. Um, I live in Benesson with my husband and my three children. I've got a 16-year-old, 14-year-old and 12-year-old. And they, um, well, the third one's actually just gone off to Oban High School. So just my husband, Michael, and I in the house on their own through the week now. That's amazing. How does that feel? It's nice. <laughs> we, we we're doing a lot of practising what to say to each other again, um, not having the kids about. Um, and I do miss them terribly, but I'm yeah. delighted that they've all settled in really well and they, they enjoy their open high school experience and they enjoy the hostel, so it's yeah. good. Yeah, because Michael would have done the hostel when he was younger. He did, and he didn't enjoy it as much. Um, it was back when the boys' hostel used to be at Kilbowie and I think it was more in... It, it was it was a harsher environment to live in, I think. Um, sure. But now um, the, there's a lovely environment at Glencruton. Um, there's about 50 island kids live there at the moment, uh, Monday to Friday, and from the islands, call is more Collinsy, Tyree and Mull. So. My eldest girl, she doesn't do quite as many clubs, um, she does a lot of socialising. Um, <laughs> <That's good. laughs> my 14-year-old, she is really quite into athletics and she does a lot of rugby, which I love. I'm so proud of the fact that I've got a daughter that loves rugby and she's good at it and she's you know, enjoys the team environment and I'm really proud of her. And my little boy's just gone and he's he's like a, a boy in a sweet shop. He just doesn't know what to be doing with himself next. So it's good, really good. Cool. They're happy, so that's the main thing. Totally, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, and the new, there's the new school in Open now as well, uh, as opposed to the kind yes. of older one, which was fairly depressing as a building, I always yeah. thought. It was like, 
Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, the new school is brighter. The, the corridors in the old one were very narrow and dark, weren't they? And quite low. Yes. It's quite, it was, it was oppressive. And the new school's bright and it's open um, and has so much modern technology squeezed into the one building. So, And they've also just um, laid the new sports pitches as well. Oh, so that's a huge thing. Yeah, totally. So you're in... You're, you're, personal story is you're not native to Mal, are you? No, I'm not. Um, basically from the year I was born, my parents were camping at Ushkin every summer and every Easter. Um, and we had all our family holidays were on Mull. We didn't go anywhere else and we loved it. And we used to count the days down to come to Mull, do our two week camping holiday in October, in um, the summer, sorry. And then we would take a house in October and we'd take a house at Easter. And we made so many friends and I feel as a child I had such a connection to this island and I totally loved it. And my dad used to joke with me that I would, uh, I should marry a mulach and then they'd have a house just to come in and live in forever and they could, you know, just come up down when they wanted. And so um, when I was 20, I was studying chemistry at Dundee University and I decided that I wasn't actually going to go back. I'd met my future husband Michael two years before that and had commuted back and forward a lot yeah. and then at the end of second year I just thought to myself right I'm not going back I'm going to stay in Mull. My dad will be delighted. <laughs> my dad wasn't quite as delighted as I had hoped. Uh, both my parents got over it and they, they love Michael. Um, well, my dad passed away but he, he, he was very fond of Michael and, um, and both were really proud of the, the life that I managed to create for myself which wasn't quite the life they had expected me to have. <laughs> I think that's one of the things, is, is that, yeah, we, we like, you have an idea of what life is and it really doesn't turn out like that at all. It's quite bizarre. Aye. So um, where, where was home when you weren't on Mull? Uh, it was um, a little village called Bells Quarry, which is between West Calder and Livingston. And in the bigger picture, it's kind of almost halfway between Glasgow and Edinburgh. Is it near Pumferstand? That was where I first grew up, yeah. <laughs> Did you know that? No, comfy. Pumphy. <laughs> uh, I spent the first I spent the first eight years of my life in Pumferston. Which is Sorry, there'll be people that live in Pumferston. That's a, what a lovely named place, yes. Yeah. It's a wee railway town, isn't it? Uh, no, it's a mining town. Mining town, yeah. Yeah, so all my family were miners and so quite generations of my family lived and grew up in Pumferston and um, were involved in mining and then my mum and dad moved to Bellsquarry when I was about eight, nine-ish and I spent the rest of my time there before going to uni. And what do, you, what do your folks do? Were they involved, dad involved in mining as well as you say? Um, well he started off on an apprenticeship down the mines and um, he then went and became an engineer um, so that was at the time where people generally didn't go to uni but if you were smart you would get an apprenticeship and work your way up that way so he did that and um, my mum had a similar experience to me in that she well hers was worse she didn't um, do much at school she was our parents despaired over it and she left and then when I was five so my sister would have been 12 it was quite a big age gap between mm. us my mum went decided she was going to Murray House and she was going to be a teacher so oh, she trained to be a teacher as a mature student um, with young kids and um, yeah and then she was a teacher for the, the bulk of my life. She enjoyed her teaching career. 
And did she teach in uh, East Lothian as West Lothian, sorry? Yes, she primarily teaching. So she, ta- she taught in Deans and she taught in um, Mid Calder and oh, yeah. places like that. Was she ever your teacher at all? No, I'm <laughs> glad about that. <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky one. Yeah. So, what did the idea of Mull mean to you? And it's not just Mull, actually. It's it's the Ross of Mull specifically. I'm imagining. Yeah. How did Tobermory seem to you when you were in the Ross? Because I remember my first experience of Mull was coming to stay here when I was about thirteen, and we stayed at Ardtun in Ardtun House with the McDougals. We've I think it was. stayed in Ardtun House before. Aye. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that kind of big old house that you'd think about, wasn't it? It I was. Used to, it's fantastic. Yeah. My memories of it, uh, I might have said this before, but my abiding memory of it is my grandmother from Colonsey, mm-hmm. who I had to share a room with, having nightmares in Gaelic. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd hear these screaming, <laughs> what the hell is this going on? So, uh, yeah. My grandmother memory of that house was that she was in, she, I wasn't sharing a room with her, mm-hmm. but she had found it, because it was when the house became self-catering, because it was right. B&B for a while, and then yeah. it was self-catering, then it was B&B again. It was running self catering, and she had found this old fashioned. What are they called? Those hot water bottles made out of clay. Pigs, a piggy. She decided she was going to fill this pig, so that would heat her bed up. Except it leaked all over the bed, mm. um, and so we had a good laugh at that. down here and we went to Ayo and I met Ati McKechnie on the, the ferry, I think it was McKechnie, his surname, Ati, yeah. uh, he was one, one of those random encounters that had the most significant impact on me, there was, mm. meeting someone who was a real um, culture bearer, so a cultural mm. champion, uh, it was an extraordinary moment for me as a, you know, I think it was about 13, it was mm. really interesting to me, um, but it was, Tobermory seemed so far away. Yeah. Um, so what did, how did you feel about Mull and that when you were here? Well, we used to get off the ferry and we just couldn't wait to get to Ushkin. Um, <sighs> that was just it for us. We, we got there, we loved Benes and yeah. Finnefer not so much, but we loved it. Tobermory, not so much. Um, we used to, at the, over the first few years, because I mean, we literally were there every year, we would take a day trip up to Tobermory. But then that kind of phased out <laughs> after a while. <laughs> um, just because uh, we just got greedy for our time yeah, down I, here. I can understand that. Uh, we'd always go to Iona for a day. That mm. didn't ever stop. Macaroni cheese in the Martyrs Bay. Uh, and then Finlay Ross used to have really good books. When I was oh. about kind of 10, 11, 12, so I'd bring a book to read and then I'd finish it and we'd go over to Finlay Ross and we'd replenish our reading stocks. And then yeah, so we'd have raincoats, buckets and spades. Yeah. Random bits of jewellery. The Rana novels by Christine Maria Fraser. I read them when yeah. I was here, yeah, yeah. as a I, teenager. She lived in uh, outside of Dunoon, uh, and my gran was a friend of hers, and I inherited her archive. Mm-hmm. So I've got a vast trove of, oh, of her research, uh, which is really cool, yeah. yeah. So, uh, aye. so Iona was, yeah, Iona's dead exciting. It was something yeah. lovely, and there was, yeah. Special going over on the ferry and just kind of playing in the nunnery. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cause I, and that was something that I did with my children. Yeah. It was a really, we used to go over to Iona just to sit in the nunnery. I'd sit on a bench and they would run in and out the ruins. And, uh, and it's really beautiful, the flowers and 
quite a magical place actually I think so um, you'd uh, done chemistry you'd uh, two years of chemistry and you decided coming to Malp mm-hmm. what did you do for a living when you got here well I was already working in the ferry shop which was supposed to be a summer placement and um, so when I decided to leave I thought I'll just stay as long as Sandy will have me and then I'll find something else didn't know what I was going to do Michael was fishing at that point right. and we stayed in this tiny little caravan <sighs> which actually looking back now I think good grief how did we manage that but actually it, I've got so many happy memories of the fun we used to have and our just our whole life at that time yeah. um, so I worked in the ferry shop and then when in the hours in the winter time sorry Sandy um, obviously the, the hours decreased a bit but they then found ways of me uh, ways for me to sort of still make money so I looked after their young child Diggy and I looked after another wee girl Amy and um, I did babysitting at night time which to be fair I hated because that impacted on my social life but um, I still did it and after that I think I I got a full-time job in the ferry shop and, and started to get more responsibility and I got to do orders and stuff which was all very exciting at the time and then a job came up at the local primary school and it was for an admin assistant and I thought oh I could give that a go I don't think I'll get it but I did get it and by this point Mike and I had got married Mm. and about two years after that I fell pregnant with our our first child Chloe and then at that point I really wanted to to be at home um, looking after the kids I wanted to be able to spend that time at home and I did that until my youngest was three before I went back to work. We had already bought our house by that point, uh, which we were lucky we bought it at a time where the housing prices were still quite reasonable. So it was yeah. kind of late 90s and it was before everything kind of exploded and went unman- became unmanageable. Yeah. And at that time, the um, I don't know who it is, but it's the government or the mortgage providers had decided that um, share fishermen could get a mortgage because there was a time where if you were a share fisherman which means that you got a share of the catch but you didn't have any ownership of the boat or the yeah. actual asset it was really difficult to get a mortgage but they had changed the rules slightly so within a kind of there's a short window before the housing boom and just after the the rules changed for share fishermen and we were able to to, to scrape together to get a mortgage and I was really glad we were able to do that at that point um, yeah, that's extraordinary. Yeah. Um, the, 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 there are several stories of people with similar situations of just catching a mortgage with Northern Rock before they collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. You know? um, yeah, uh, it's quite quite amazing. Um, and so you were living in caravan, uh, a caravan. Were you living in other things as well? Uh, we were living in a very small caravan mm-hmm. without running water where we oh. sort of paid rent to the house that the caravan was on the land of and got to go in and use their showers and stuff like that. And then we went into a bigger caravan which was up at Ketchkin and these caravans are kind of quite iconic for Finnefer because they've been there forever. Yeah. Um, rented out by a, a local legend, Mary Mackay, and um, she let us have a winter let in one of hers. Fantastic. And then we moved into a house that had been built. Um, the owners had built it um, with the condition that they would take someone off the council housing list for five years. So oh, wow. We were able to get there 
and then we were able to buy our own house. So. How did that feel after that journey of moving from caravan to caravan to house to house to yeah. have your own place? It was amazing and by that point I really wanted to start a family and my husband had said <laughs> to me, not until we've got our own house. So um, I was hoping it would happen rather than later and it did. And uh, again, it's just, we, we, we never want to leave, we're still in that house. And yeah, it's home. It's probably not the fanciest house or the best, but it's, it's home to us and we it's, it's our home. It's going to be our home forever. Our kids will come back and visit us in it and I hope we'll be there doesn't have stairs so that's quite handy for the forever bit. Aye, definitely, definitely. That's another reality for folk here is the, the moving thing constantly. Winter let is a word you would never hear elsewhere but yeah, somewhere yeah. with a tourist economy it's winter let. Oh thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> amazing thing so. Um, so yeah when we first met uh, you were working as a local development officer. What 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 is a local development officer? What is the uh, the Immersterino or the, uh, the, what was it called in English? Uh, the Initiative on the Edge or something like that. Was that what it was yeah, called? Right. What, what was this stuff? So this is, growth at, well, it became Growth at the Edge and it was um, Highlands Islands Enterprise had um, sort of access funding from the government and I think from Leader as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, from Leader putting stamps on every blooming thing. <laughs> Oh goodness, you had to have a tattoo in your heart. Your yeah, exactly. I am owned by a leader. <laughs> um, so basically it was to invest in organisations so that they could employ a local development officer and that person's first task would be to do a community plan for the area which had to be... Um, it had to come from the community. That was really important that basically it wasn't just another kind of thing that had you no meaning. Yeah. Um, and... So Mull and Iona Community Trust at that point got funding and they had to, well Mull and Iona was too big for the project. You wouldn't have been able to do one, you know, local development officer covering the whole island. So they decided that the Ross of Mull and Iona would be the um, area that they would, um, you know, put a local development officer in position. So at the time I had, my youngest was about three by this point, so I had gotten a bit, a lot of love being at home with my kids, I was starting to get a bit stir crazy because I'd been at home for quite a long time and I had done an HNC in accounting mm. um, from home through Argyle College right. and then I kind of was going to do, <laughs> I wanted to then do the HND in business admin so this is just before the advert came out and I'll tell you a funny story, I phoned um, Argyle College in Oban but the person that was responsible for sort of replying to my call but want to apply to do the HND in business for whatever reason they maybe they didn't get back to me I don't know if the, the call got missed or whatever or at least they didn't get back to me right away and I'm one of these people that when I get my mind set on something I want to do it right now yeah. so I then had a look about the UHI website and I saw this thing called sustainable development and I thought what's that and then I read it and I thought that was really interesting it was economics and you know, like looking at policies for areas like this and how we make it better and how we, you know, create development that's going to be sustainable, it's going to yeah. last, it's going to impact on people's lives. I thought that sounds really interesting. So I phoned the course leader. Now he was available. He answered the phone right away and he said, we talked through it and he said, you'd love this. Why are you thinking about doing business admin? That'd be really boring. Come on, <laughs> come over and do this. Oh, so I signed up that day. Uh, meanwhile, the poor guy from the business admin place got back to me about two weeks later but was, I had already started my first um, yeah. you know, week of tutorials and stuff but I loved it and I think that course then enabled me to have the confidence to apply for the job because I was already Fantastic. a year into it when this job came up and 
I applied with no experience and no real qualifications really. I mean, I did well at school, but I had nothing after school. Half a chemistry degree, which actually wasn't even that impressive because the last half, most of the time, was spent on Mullen, not at lectures in Dundee, so <laughs> you can imagine. Um, and this one year of a, an, a sustainable development degree and an HNC and account. So really nothing that they were going to be impressed by. But I went into the interview, my first ever real interview, with a panel of four people and um, I shook my way through it. But you know, I was so passionate about it because I really believed that this was something that could work. Yeah. And I was just like, I was brimming with excitement and terror and everything. And uh, and then I, I, they came to see, they actually came to the house to tell me I'd got the job because they ah. wanted to see my face when they told me. <laughs> <laughs> So, which we all kind of had a bubble and stuff, but um, it was uh, really, really exciting for me. And I just think that it's changed the, the path of my life completely. Um, and so um, I've loved doing the work. We got the community plan done. Yeah. Um, what was the experience of doing that like? It was really good because um, I had to, I was actually getting to ask people what they really thought about living here because yeah. it wasn't just like, do you want. Uh, the village hall roof fixed or <laughs> do you want bingo on a Thursday night rather than a Tuesday <laughs> it was like you know what matters and I think what comes out most is that what matters is people that's what matters that's what came out right through the whole thing yeah. I mean there were there were lots of things that people wanted and lots of sort of you know, sort of frameworks and stuff they wanted, but the, but actually it was all to benefit people and the yeah. things came up, like how do we get young people to be able to live here? How do we create employment? How do we invest in the place and the people to make life better? And that was probably the best experience doing it. It was tricky in places, and I, 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 and but I really feel like it was something to be proud of because I did yeah. do the consultation to such, it was so in-depth, you know, I made sure that I spoke to as many people as I possibly could and even just doing that was great because I love, I like being around people and I like yeah. talking to them. So you're enabling people to do things that they, they maybe not have don't have the courage to do it on their own or to say. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because an example is the Community Transport Association, which we set up. We got the vehicles. Um, we set up the. That was cool. Community. Can you say a little bit about the vehicle? How you got the, the first yeah. vehicles? So the first vehicle was um, we saw an advert from Children in Need who were looking for a community group to take on the. Balamori bus, which is quite iconic to Mull. Um, certainly, I remember my kids were enjoyed Balamori when they were little. Me, not so much because it's always on loop. <laughs> yeah. What's the story? Tell me, do. <laughs> so um, we basically put in for it and said, you know, it's going to benefit the children, but also the old people and all across our whole community. And can can we be the people that you give it to? And they did, and it was an amazing. It was my first achievement win. and my first win and then we went on to get funding for a smaller vehicle but a brand new one this time and we got that and um it was really it was really good and then we were able to say to the community transport group like you're doing it now so we can take a step back and you can carry on and they have they've, they've um they've really grown they provide such an amazing service um you see them wherever you go yeah, yeah totally um, so yes, yeah, so that was, that's that's something that I'm really proud of, and yeah, and the whole thing's been great. But when we, um, well, basically one day um, we got an email from the Forestry Commission saying that they were going to be selling off Chiroran Forest, and were we interested? So the directors and I all sat and thought, well, buying a forest isn't in the community plan, <laughs> but getting more access to land is. 
create more jobs for people is yeah very much so, yeah. and basically creating a creating a more diverse environment and you know d- d- you know looking at our kind of biodiversity and how we protect economic stuff. stability as well yeah. and economic stability so huge thing and we just thought oh let's go for it and that was the start of southwest Malayana development Aye. until that point um the operations uh you've been working with a local company local charity MICT, is that right? Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit about MICT and what their role was in all of this? So their role was to employ the development officer in the first instance uh-huh. and they said, rather than our directors looking after you, you should set up a steering group from people from the Ross and Iona because it's really important that people are invested so, in what you're doing. It's so it's, democracy, yeah. Yeah, and it was really good because what MICT did was through both James Hilda, the um, original manager, and Murray Finch, the new manager, um, they basically said to me, just have here's your space. You go and do do what do what you want to do with it, and yeah. basically gave me wings, which is a bit of a cliche, but they really did. Um, but they were there for me all the time if I Money needed particularly. it. Particularly, I, I, yeah. as much as I admire James, it was before I yeah. had anything to do with them. But Murray couldn't do enough for anyone. No. He's, he's extraordinary. And it was like the first kind of James was only there for the first maybe eight months, yeah. and then and then it was Murray. And um, I, I do have got the utmost respect for Murray. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he, he still supports me actually. You know, if there's stuff I need, I can phone him and say, "Can you help me out?" And also Sandy Brunton was a chair of our group and chair of MICT. Yeah. So that was a really good kind of um, bridging sort of... Sandy who'd been your boss at the ferry shop as well. And uh, is actually now probably a really close friend. Um, Well, he is a really close friend. Um, Even though he smells funny. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's coming out. Isn't it? No, I'm staying in. <laughs> um, but he had he Sandy was a really good support and, and again still is. So I think yes. that um, Metrol was really to 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 basically give us the confidence to go ahead and do something. When we were about to buy the forest, it seemed sensible to set up our own organisation because it was such a huge project, and we did it. And we still work closely with Mict. But um, yeah. I think I think they see us as one of their success stories as much as we're a success in their own right. So, Damn right. Yeah. So, um, have, uh you've worked with Mick, and uh, what was that moment where uh, was it the, the your directors or was it Mick directors went? Well, the economics of this are so big that you probably need to go your own direction with it, or was it a moment of did Mick say actually we'd like to keep you on board for this, or was there a, a separation point? It was a quite an amicable separation. Wasn't um, there's a very amicable separation. I, um, so, yeah. <laughs> I think um, basically we had talked it through with various people um, that were supporting us at high in different places, and it seemed that there, there were it, it seemed that it was the most sensible thing to do to move on our own. So we came to the decision by ourselves as a group. But Sandy was involved in that decision and as Mick chair, yeah. so it was very amicable. But we. Um, we just decided we were going to break off and I had quite a, I had mixed feelings at the time. I was really excited to be going off and doing, you know, to start up this new organisation that was going to have potential to, to, to um, you know, to just, just create change. But at the same time, I felt safe being part of MICT and um, yeah, appreciated the support I had. So yeah. I think we've been lucky the way it's worked because you know, we all support each other. and Yeah, that's a different... And there's also the Woodland Company in, in the north as well, these community yeah. interest companies. There's uh, there's 
there are a few on the island, but the main ones are, are yourself, South West Mall Development Company, mm-hmm. uh, Mall and Community Trust, mm-hmm. North West Mall Woodland, uh, Community Woodland Company as well. So there's those are the three principal ones, but there are another couple as well, I think. There's, wasn't, yeah. Is it Tobermory? Tobermory Harbour Association. You do significant work as yeah. well. Yeah. And there's also um, Iona Renewables in Iona, mm-hmm. so they're the new group that are looking after kind of renewable energy and Iona, so they're quite significant in terms of Iona, that's there. Uh, and also the Iona Village Hall Community Trust, which is another one. They've so. done brilliant things. The Iona Music. Music Festival is always something I've never made it to and I've always wanted to. The lineup is, yeah. you know, I'd want to see that anywhere and the fact it's on our doorstep is ridiculous. <laughs> What were the priorities when you set up? The first thing is the forests. Yes, um, so we set up the forests. We had, we had the community plan as priorities and mid-action points, but it was all about you know surrounding the kind of economics and employment and housing and stuff. When we bought the forest, um, that was our first big project, and we were able to... It was funny, it was a very long process. We were back and forth to the Forestry Commission, the asking price changed a few times, um, <laughs> We, that would have been stressful. <laughs> yeah, so we got our, um, but it went down, not up, which oh is good. Um, we got our um, Scottish Land Fund um, award. We had to negotiate a loan with uh, Social Investment Scotland to okay. make up the, the remaining uh, 10%. And what was it about Social Investment Scotland the, that were rather than the Triadis Bank or the Green? Why did you go with them? Social Investment Scotland are very good at taking risks um, really? on people. Now, not that our project was risky, risky in yeah. terms of the actual, we have the timber growing. Yeah, it's there. Um, it's an there's a market for it. You know, it, not that, but we were a community organisation that had no experience of trading, no bank, you know, no um, trading accounts, you know. Yeah. And so... But you are slightly risky, and also, you know, so, and, and it was our first move into forestry. So, Social Investment Scotland, they are willing to say, right, um, you know, we'll sort of give you money. We had to show that we had um, an asset that was going to make money and capability, um, but, but they are very good at supporting startup social enterprises. Um, yeah, their interest rates are slightly higher, but that's one of the things that. You know, you have to balance it, you know, with the risk. Well, the first thing with the woodland was when we found out that we had finally owned it, I had been waiting for that moment for a long time, and it came, and I sat to write the letters to the, the email to the directors just to let them know, guess what, we own a woodland now, <laughs> uh, before I sent it to the community saying, guess what, you own a woodland now. <laughs> um, but I actually felt quite... Um, it was a bit of an anticlimax. It's strange, you wouldn't expect it, but I felt like it was like years of like work and all of a sudden we had it and I thought, why am not I really, really, you know, was excited, but it didn't actually yeah. happen quite quickly. Um, three weeks... <laughs> right, naked through the trees, it's mine, it's mine. <laughs> but three weeks later, um, I put a poster up in the shop advertising our two new... Um, posts that we had created as a result of owning the woodland, a forest officer post and an administrator post and I think at that point that was my, oh gosh that was it for me, that was the best moment, imagine being able to give people a chance and a job and a chance to be able to uh, carry on living here and um, do something they enjoy and all of that, because I feel like that's the 
opportunity I've been given. Yeah, and I've really, I've grabbed every opportunity that's been thrown at me. I've gone yeah. to everything, I've yes. done everything, yeah. and I want other people to be able to do the same. I don't think, I think my thing is, if you choose to live in a rural area like this, um, you don't have to settle here. You settle here, but you don't have to settle here. You don't have to settle for a job that you don't enjoy or for... If you can be a bit creative and grab opportunities, you can have the, you know, you can have the, the best life ever. You know, it, it's about what you want for yourself, you know, and I think that's really important that people kind of have the chance to be able to make the most of themselves and be, be the, you know, be the best they can be, I guess, if that's come out right. That comes out perfectly. <laughs> it's absolutely, yeah, fantastic. But so the forest, um, yes. what else we... I had always planned to operate it commercially to generate an income. So we did that. We, we started failing quite quickly. And then um, our next load, so we've just been doing that and we've planned to replant this year and we've got huge costs with uh, fencing and we had sure, yeah. a lot of diseased larch and, oh, and a, a closed road as well, which we've come through all of that in the last year and it's been difficult, yeah. but we're still here. And we're moving forward now we've you know put that behind us and we're moving forward and it's been interesting developing solutions to the problems yeah but i think the next big exciting thing is that we um are going to be developing six woodland crofts in the forest and my colleague celia's going to be doing that and it's Brilliant. really exciting that's a big plan yeah there's the the chap, uh, the woodland crofter as well. Is, yes, uh, he's what's helping. What's his name again? Jamie McIntyre. He seemed out, so I met him at the Community yeah. Land Scotland Conference. Yeah. He was absolutely like, oh my gosh, what an amount of knowledge this guy has. Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he's worth following on Twitter uh, as well. Yeah. Is he just the woodland crofter? Uh, yeah. At the woodland crofter, I think something yeah. like that. Uh, uh, so yes, so, so you've got the woodland country, but you, your plans go beyond that as well. So what you've created two jobs within the woodland, but you've created other jobs as well. Well, we, on Monday, our new administrator started because what happened was the administrator we had had then, Celia, she um, became a financial manager and a project officer because she kind of developed beyond the admin role and we needed somebody else helping with projects and she does all the management accounts. So we, um, I suppose we promoted her, but then we thought, well, we still need somebody to do admin and we were able to advertise for that job recently. Got 12 applications, That's seven interviews, um, and we were able to uh, appoint Saskia, who's just started. And again, it's just, I think that's just what does it for me, to be honest. I, I love that. We're also re-advertising for a forest, um, another forest officer, our, our um, previous forest officer, resigned at the end of the year. He's still on board as a volunteer, but he you know, didn't want to be doing the job anymore. And so we're going to be uh, re-advertising. So that'll be four members of staff and we're also taking on a um, graduate through a Scott grad placement over the next month. We're hoping to do that so it'll be five members of staff. <laughs> so it's really good. That's brilliant. It's great. Um, it's really good. Got a lot happening. And What's, So we're sitting here in this big white building that for years had just kind of been here, mm -hmm. sort of bits of it had been here. And yeah. it, was it called the Columba Centre? Yeah, exactly. Is it still called the Columba Centre? It still is because we, um, so we lease half the building. Um, yeah. The community's ambition is to own it um, and to have something happening in it, in it. But for the moment, we decided to start the process off with a, a phased approach and we are leasing it half the building. Um, Historic Scotland still have problems with um, storing their stone um, that they have to preserve. Okay. 
So um, that's in the other half of the building. Um, and we at the moment we've got... And that's stone in relation to... St. Columba, Iona. Oh, right. uh, <laughs> yeah, like stone that's basically been outside for thousands of years. <laughs> but it needs to be inside now. Obviously. Yeah, yes. so... Yeah. So, um, but they do a lot of maintenance work over there and stuff in the winter, so it's good. Um, Historic Environment Scotland do employ quite a lot of people down this way, which is good. Totally, yeah. So, um, so we have two office spaces for rent. One of them gets rented to Rural Housing Scotland. We've got this space, which we had hoped to rent out. We don't have any takers at the moment, but we are going to be filling it with our own staff soon, so we're quite Super glad. So. And another uh, room which is potentially going to be a feasibility period for a community-owned gym, a social uh, enterprise. So just that'll be good for the winter as well. Yeah. What we do in the winter? We go to the gym. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the probably quite an exciting thing is the South West Mall makers. They um, have rented the exhibition space and have had a, an amazing season. Yeah. They opened up in May and people are coming in and buying paintings yeah. and bits of pottery and stuff it's all made here and it's like it's beautiful artwork um, and they're a cooperative of 10 people who live here who are basically we're trying to find a way to sell their stuff and they can do that now that's fantastic and that is a problem of you know how do you sell your stuff with because uh, the percentages of, of uh, for sale are quite difficult yeah. for an artist uh, if they're not, it's so hard for an artist to charge what it actually costs to make something, yeah. and then you take twenty percent commission or thirty percent commission off the top of that. It's like, okay, yeah. so to be part of a cooperative is phenomenal. It's uh, and it's good. It's very good work as well. It's really, yeah, some other things. Um, that's brilliant. So, um, is there anything? Can you say anything about what's happening over there? Is that all? Um, um, no, I can. We've um, are in the very early stages, as in very early stages of. Um, looking at a community buyout of um, Martyrs Bay Bar and Restaurant on Iona. Which to me is phenomenal. Um, what, what are the plans for that? Because that's such an iconic... The Martyrs Bay macaroni cheese was a big thing for me. <laughs> um, at the moment, we, we don't actually have plans at the moment. We've been approached by the owner um, who is... is the family have worked long and hard at it yeah. um, for quite a few years and they're at a point now where they need to say we need to take time out yeah. um, and they've offered it to community because That's if right. it doesn't sell then they're possibly going to go for change of use and that would mean that the community would lose their only pub Yeah. and also this sort of cafe facility really picks up a lot of the tourists because the hotels are so amazing sad. but there's they're they're, basically there are about 130,000 people cross over to Iona every year on the ferry yeah. so if you imagine that number of people you need places for them to go and eat and, and go to the toilet go to the and, <laughs> yeah, and have a drink so um, it's, it's, a, it's a real community asset um, we, we haven't we're in the stage where we just need to find out what the valuation looks like and then we'll go to the community and ask them do you want us to do it that's a big question if the community don't want us to do it we won't do it so that's fantastic really that's where we are yeah no that's brilliant but it's, it's not a, a dictatorial kind of we will do this no, thing which is no, no. It ha- we have to have support and if we don't then um, yeah that's okay there'll be something else there'll be something else like seaweed which is very exciting <laughs> so yeah can you say more about seaweed What's... yeah so we're um Looking into doing a feasibility study, we're hoping to hear about if we've been um, awarded the um, funds to do it next week. And we are going to be looking at 
the potential for a community-owned seaweed farm. There's a huge um, demand for seaweed globally. Yeah. And at the moment, there's a lot of big companies um, who make seaweed products but are struggling to, to wild mm -hmm. harvest right. in, and get the enough to meet their demand. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have been toying with the idea of seaweed harvesting uh, as in farming. Yeah. Um, and it's something that we're really looking into because we think a community-owned operation create employment. Yeah. Create a raw material which you could sell to the big companies or you could add value to it and give Make local... Make your own gunpowder. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or even give local people the chance to add value to it themselves. You know, you could sell the raw material to a local business startup that wants to make a nice food product or a face cream or so a... Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there, there are all sorts of things that we could look at, but I think it's a really exciting, a really exciting thing. The thing with it at the moment is that the economics need to be worked out and that's yeah. what the industry are saying, we don't yeah. know what the economics are, so we're going to do this wee study and see if it might work for us. It's quite big in Ireland, I know there's certainly one place yeah. which is massively successful. Yeah. Um, but also it's a bit of an ethical minefield as well, there's, I know there's things about kelp farming at the moment that... Uh, yeah, that, I think that, it's the mechanical dredging aspect that might be the minefield as in, you know, sort of... The dredge, dredging of the wild yeah. seaweed, whereas this would be like, like growing a, a crop of potatoes in a field. You would have your area in the sea, that would have lines, ropes, yeah. a bit like what the mussel farmers use. Yeah. So you buy these seeded lines that are pre-seeded somewhere else, yeah. put them in the water and the seaweed grows and you pick it off and then you do it again. So it's not destroying what's there already. Fantastic. And it's not sweeping up what's there already and, and then not giving it time to replenish your... You're, you're harvesting, kind of, in a logical way, it's farming. Yeah. Exactly. Your own journey as well within it is you've made the most, you've said you make the most of every opportunity you could. Can you tell us about some of the opportunities? We mentioned uh, Rural Housing Scotland, who are one of my favourite organisations. Mm -hmm. I just, I love what they do. Yeah. I think they're the most, uh, and their staff, their choice of staff, I mean, Derek Logie and the board are mm -hmm. remarkable yeah. people. They are morally wonderful people. Um, but you've got Jody McLean uh, was originally uh, yeah. the first I think the first position mm -hmm. um, uh, of, of development office, was it development she officer? She was development officer, Jodie McLeod. McLeod. Oh, she's like, no, she you're right, she's, she's McLean. McLean. She's a wonderful... I call her McLeod because right. she was McLeod when yeah. she was wee. Sorry. Um, yes. she's, she worked with them to, to mm -hmm. develop what, what they do, their, develop their offer. And then it's gone to a gentleman by the name of Cameron Anton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's we an absolute yeah, Exactly. And they're just fantastic. But they, they have things that they do that, that support... Um, the work of local development officers and community yeah. development officers. Could you tell us a little bit about their work and also other opportunities you've made uh, the most for yourself? Yeah, so basically um, Cameron and Jodie have always been very supportive of us when we've been looking at, we haven't actually done any housing uh, like Mal and I own a community trust but we're looking at ways we can um, you know, free up land as in the Woodland Crofts um, we're going to be going to pre-planning um, so that the crofters have all got pre-planning on site which will be really helpful for them so um, Cameron has helped recently because when Jodie was in post we weren't quite at this stage um, although we kept in touch and she was great yeah. um, so Cameron's done a housing needs survey for us Fantastic Which is amazing Yeah um, And it showed that there is a real need in the Ross of Mullinayona for um, homes to rent and homes to buy 
and access to land. It's, it's, yeah. it's reflected what we knew already, but Maybe people dark. like to see it written down. Yeah. Um, so that's been really, and we're going to be able to use this for a few projects, this survey, so exactly. and they're excellent. And we've got like expert advice along the corridor, which is always good. Um, so I find that that's been good. I take advantage of every conference I go to, so whether it's yeah. through the Housing Scotland one or the Community Land Scotland one or the Highlands Enterprise Strength and Communities one, yeah. um, they're all great chances to meet and talk to people and you get so many opportunities just through talking to people and finding totally. out what they do. Um, and another one is that I got the opportunity to go to MIT in January this year mm-hmm. um, and I went there for 10 days. Is that the Malik Institute of Technology? That's <laughs> 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 down in the pier, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got to spend... 10 days in Boston <laughs> and it was um, absolutely amazing. So I was a bit worried about going because it was all with um, you know, entrepreneurs, people that work in, I guess, private businesses and I was going from a social enterprise point of view and I thought, oh, Fantastic. when I get there, not, you know, nobody will know what I, what I do and I'll have to keep explaining it and there was a wee bit of that. Yeah. But only because I think firstly, or mainly that Scotland are so far forward when it comes to social enterprise, community owned assets, all of that, that the rest of the people from the rest of the world, I mean, there was people from all over, there was, you know, Brazil, Australia, across Europe, and they, um, they just couldn't get, you know, they were just um, really quite impressed by what we do and what we have and the opportunities. Um, so that was quite nice. Um, I thought that entrepreneurs were all really just focused on making money. Mm. What I learned was that um, there are entrepreneurs who have a real social um, drive. And I got to hear from Paul English, who was the guy who set up um, Kayak, the travel company, oh, and yeah. another huge, yeah. he set up loads of big yeah. businesses and he, set, he sells them on afterwards and stuff. But he spoke and actually, um, I must admit I had tears in my eyes when I listened to him and um, gone from quite a difficult life at the start and then going on to be a huge success and still having like people in his team at the core of everything he does and it really I just thought Do you know what I can relate to you because that's how I feel so you're, we're not that different um, and I got to meet him afterwards which was really nice but um, yeah it was an amazing opportunity and what I learned was that throughout the whole thing we were learning about how to know your customer you know for your product and what you're selling you have to know your customer you yes. have to narrow it down you have to listen yeah. you've got this 24 steps manual which I actually still use for some of our new projects because I thought oh, how will I use that yeah. but do you know what I was thinking who's my customer but our customer really are the people that we serve in the community the people that are owner you know people that do have you? ownership of SMID it's us yeah. and I have to know every part of our community so that I know the best way that we can develop the opportunities and the potential to benefit um, and so yeah I learned that we're not really that much different from from all these other and I think as well that's really important for organisations like ours to operate a really efficient business model totally we have to become sustaining because we yeah. can't keep investing money and doing all the good stuff if we don't if we don't have any no, so, you have to have, your economics is you know, it should be a really dull thing, but it's not. It's utterly amazing. I think also what Scotland does is tied into the future of what we do is tied into the political situation yeah. or the landscape we're going into, coming out of Europe, mm-hmm. being independent or not being independent. Uh, it's very interesting. And one of our best on that, to my mind, is Leslie Riddich yeah. as well. She's really... She's amazing. Um, 
Have you had any dealings with Leslie at all? I've met her once at the launch of her Blossom Book in Anro. That's and right, I think I that's when well. she yeah. was talking about the men's shed that you mentioned earlier on. Yeah. Because I knew I'd heard about it or read about it, so it's either in Blossom or she it's, talked it's about a, it. Yeah. I've definitely heard about it. The, the idea is that um, yeah, uh, opportunities that are positive can really bring great health mm-hmm. benefits to, to communities. But when those opportunities are taken away through situations totally outside of the control of yeah. the core group, the effects they can have on that are, are, are massively negative. And I love our kind of um, comparison with Scandinavia. Scandinomics, um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, she's got the um, Max Morgus board, the book on that I've as well. I've got, Cameron's lent that to me, but I haven't read it yet. But I it's got in my it. bag, yeah. um, but I need to have a look at it. Obviously, as someone who's very interested in Scottish independence, I have tried to read around this a lot, like Gavin McCrone's book on, mm-hmm. um, on Scottish independence, and there's another, another couple that are really... Yeah, you kind of get an interesting perspective on economics and how it is this river that runs yeah. everything. You've got to be sustainable. If you if you're not, like um, the common wheel, there's new stuff. Uh, uh, Robin uh, his Robin Calpin's stuff. Mm-hmm. He proposes a quite a slow model of economics for Scotland right. for the future. There's two models. There's a really slow one mm-hmm. and there's a really fast track boom bang wham thing mm-hmm. um, that could maybe not have such sustainability, but that gets you to a peak. Yeah. But the slow model and this is what. Um, it's trying to be up the pros and cons, isn't it? Of totally, and this is where Alva find themselves as mm-hmm. well. As you know, what's what what what's the economic model for the independent island of Alva going to be? Which is really interesting. It's so exciting, though, isn't it? I, I I wish I could be more. Well, obviously, I'm out with the the area and stuff, but um, oh, I just love to be more involved in that. It's so exciting. It's the most positive thing, and the people are just phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. No, Alva is a it's a model of positivity. That kind of ties me into kind of my last question, I guess, is what does community empowerment mean? What, you know, your, your, the latter part of your working life has been about community empowerment. Why is it important? What is it, why, when you see what you've seen away in MIT or across in Boston, when you, you talked about to people about it, what is it that makes community empowerment important? I think it's just that it's about people doing things for themselves and people feeling confident enough to do things for themselves and not being frightened of buying a huge asset but but being brave enough to do it because when you've got kind of people who live in an area being involved in the decision making and the choices that happen in the area then your result is always going to be better because it's the people there that are making the choices I think it's that and just for me in terms of SMID again it's about this whole creating opportunities it's it's giving people a chance to make life better but they're doing it for themselves because they're you doing it for themselves but together but together yeah that's exactly it doing creating benefits together that will benefit individuals that live in the community and i just think that's a a huge thing um i think uh, impairment the impairment that comes from owning assets and being involved in their development is is a is something that, that can have far-reaching impacts and the ripple effect, that's what we're talking about, is that ripple effect, it's not just about owning the assets, it's no. about the impacts that happen and as a result of that and that's what, <laughs> that's what community empowerment is, it's a huge big ripple effect. <laughs> Thank you again to Marvin for our time there. I think, well, I hope that her story will resonate with a lot of folk. Now, I'd like to thank all of you that have taken the time to listen to the previous podcast with Duncan. I've been delighted to hear from you on Facebook, Twitter and through the website. 
It's been just lovely to hear your thoughts and also your memories of the islands in times gone by. I'll try and incorporate them into episodes where I can. In many ways, what I'm trying to do is to create an archive for the future, to get a snapshot of life as it's happening at the moment on the islands. That's why in this podcast I've talked to Marvin, and in the previous one to Duncan, who's many years her senior. I want to capture as many aspects of life around here as present themselves. I also love podcasts. I'm kind of late to the party, and for me it's a real revolution in entertainment. The intimacy of them is very special. Very often it's just the listener and the podcaster, and then their guests. It's really rather simple and beautiful. When you travel as much as so many of the folk from the islands do, listening to podcasts can really help make the day go better. Whether you're stuck in a ferry queue, travelling along the A85 or on the train with your Highland person's rail pass, or even the Eurostar, listening to podcasts is usually a pleasure. You're able to customise your own radio station to your own tastes. I think it's brilliant. In the last podcast, I realised that when Duncan mentions Lonely Ben Moore, there's a piece of music that follows it, and it sounds like it may be the tune Lonely Ben Moore, just from the way it's structured. Sadly, it's not. That's just the podcast theme, which one friend lovingly described as sounding like a school orchestra. If you want to hear Lonely Ben Moore, you can find it in the notes on the webpage for episode one. I recommend it. It's uh, There's a, a couple of kids playing it on the accordions. It's rather beautiful. Thank you again to Island Bakery for sponsoring the podcast. I really appreciate it. Their sponsorship pays for the hosting of the podcast. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm also looking to fundraise through donations. So if you feel like it and are able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee wherever you may be through the website. You'll see a donate tab there where you can donate if you so wished. But don't worry if you can't or you don't want to. I'd much rather that you listened than not. In light of that, I'd like to thank Ian, Helen and Jamie for your donations. I appreciate it so much. Thank you most sincerely. As before, if anyone wants to reach out and say hello, you can visit the website on whatwedointhewinter.wordpress.com and you can follow us on Facebook on What We Do In The Winter and uh, by Twitter on What We Do In The Winter and you can reach us on by email on whatwedointhewinter at gmail.com. So thank you so much for listening in. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers.